morning. Thank you, Reverend Jessica, and uh, to the chapel officiants and worship team, and um, to all of you, I see Clark Baldwin in the back, uh, for having me. Um, I bring you greetings from Pennsylvania, by way of New Jersey, by way of everywhere else I've been. <laughs> Let's just dive into the word, shall we? <laughs> hate all the greetings, don't you hate it? I mean, I appreciate it, but. Um, the part I wanna focus on of that passage, um, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I'd like to speak to you this morning um, from the subject, what matters and why. Over the years, um, there have been a few television shows that I've been uh, obsessed with. <laughs> um, Brothers and Sisters was one of them, Parenthood uh, was another. And uh, then in the recent years, This Is Us has been um, a particular obsession. I promised myself that I wasn't gonna be one of those people who takes their latest obsession and self-projects it into a sermon, um, torturing you all with my need to reflect on it and talk about it. But I am one of those people. <laughs> uh, and I have to admit, um, my obsession. I've always been into good television, and uh, I also admit that I've been a crier. Um, I can get emotional over a cartoon character dying, um, The Lion King, uh, Coco. I was practically hyperventilating after Coco. Um, but there was and still really is something about this show, This Is Us. Um, every week I had to get on Twitter, tweet my way through my emotions. One actually went kind of viral. BuzzFeed had put up a tweet that I did. I think I had written something like, the credits come on for This Is Us, and then I put a, a gif up of a guy that's like crying in the shower. Um, my mom and my sister, we, we have these full conversations about these characters like they really exist. And it's quite fascinating the way that it, it elicits such powerful reactions from uh, some of us as the viewers, its audience. And what's fascinating about it is that the storylines in the show is actually boring. Um, this Is Us is slow. Parenthood was slow. Uh, very, you know, detailed and sort of humdrum, right? Um, there's nothing new under the sun with the drama that happens in these families, a mom and a dad and some kids and all the people around them and all the characters in their everyday lives making bad decisions, making good decisions, being normal human beings. It's really predictable. And if you can't predict what's gonna happen, then the writers tell you what's gonna happen before it even happens. <laughs> so there's really, like Ecclesiastes says, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Um, when it comes to this show, there are two types of people. There's the people who love it and can't get enough of it, like me, and then there's the people who cannot understand why people like me would watch it. I call those the haters. <laughs> I read one critic who wrote that it is a manipulative drama in pursuit of your tears. One of my friends makes fun of me every week and says, why are you torturing yourself? You know you don't have to do this, right? I've read other people's reactions saying it's soul crushing and everyone dies. Why do you watch that? What's crazy is that it's not even true, like two people have died in comparison to most TV shows, but This Is Us is boring. 
and this is us as normal, and it's even a little cheesy. So what is it? What is it about shows like This Is Us or Parenthood or Brothers and Sisters from years ago uh, that draw so many people to it? We get these sort of basic reminders every week that for some reason we are still in need of reminding of, particularly this day and age, in this world that we live in, the reminder that there is no such thing as a perfect relationship or a perfect family. The reminder that even in the midst of dysfunction, there is growth and there is love. The reminder that we are all still human and we are not alone. And I read someone write that even though the plot line of This Is Us may be very different from our struggles and our obstacles, we enjoy watching the show because it reminds us of so many universal truths about suffering and love and relationships and the human experience. It reminds me of what matters and why. They have their boring storylines of their personal struggles, their disagreements with one another, their family functions, and petty arguments, but at the end of every episode, if you've ever seen it, the last 10 minutes, it doesn't matter what happened, they all come back to each other. They all come back together. And we are reminded that no matter what happened or how dysfunctional it can get, that none of that matters because at the end of the day, they choose each other, they choose to live in the tension, and they choose to still love one another. So I don't mind crying every week. <laughs> Call it soul torture. I'm just going to embrace it because uh, I might need a little soul crushing to break me from the indifference and detachment that this society has caused so many of us to be in. Numb and indifferent and cynical. And I think we've gotten a little too used to being cynical, a little too used to hearing of another school shooting and shrugging our shoulders. There was one that just happened this past week and it didn't even trend. Remember when hearing that a thousand people died from COVID and being shocked? It was a big deal. Then we got to 300,000 and it was like, they were just numbers, no longer even people or souls. A little too used to training ourselves to feeling nothing a little too emotionally numb. So at this point, if it comes in the form of a television show, uh, a sermon, so be it. Because maybe we all need a little soul crushing every now and then to remind us of what really matters and why. That at the end of the day, the accolades aren't what matters, our titles, our resumes, the little things that we worry about, how many followers I have, uh, how many likes I get on a picture, how popular I am, what I feel like I have to prove, even the arguments and the disagreements that we have, none of this matters. Our relationships are what matters. How we choose to love one another is what matters. How we live out community, how we treat one another, those are the important things. And what I'd hoped is that if we've learned nothing else from this pandemic, that it was that. In the first few months of the pandemic, we're all quarantined and uh, some of us in isolation, some of us together with our families, and we're like, well, all of these things were canceled, and we no longer have this, and we no longer have that, and we're forced to sit alone in our nothingness and say, well, what really mattered after all? In his book, Purpose Driven Life, you probably remember Rick Warren wrote, 
uh, relationships, not achievements, or the acquisition of things are what matters most in life. So why do we allow our relationships to get the short end of the stick? When our schedules become overloaded, we start skimming relationally, cutting back on giving time, energy, and attention that loving relationships requires. Then he goes on to say, what's most important to God is replaced by what's urgent. We become preoccupied with making a living and doing our work and paying bills and accomplishing goals as if these tasks are the point of life. They are not. The point of life is learning to love God and people. These are the things I've been thinking a lot about in making decisions in my own life, things I've been thinking a lot about in this past year and a half or so that we've been in this uh, season, what really matters here and why. It's what we should be reflecting on every day. Think about the things that take up all of your time. We were forced to do that in the beginning of the quarantine. The things that we think about, the things that we give our days to that make are you happy or make you angry? What really matters here and why? Those are the things you will remember when you reach the end of your life and you think back on what's most important. It's what Jesus spent so much time on earth demonstrating and teaching, a new command I give you, love one another. So in, in John chapter eight, John's one of my favorite uh, gospels because of its visual imagery and, and illustrations. The beginning of, of chapter 13 says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his father. Then it says, he loved his disciples during his ministry here on earth and no, he loved them to the very end. I mean, here is Jesus mere moments away from his arrest and his betrayal and his ultimate crucifixion, moments away from torture and death, and he's spending time with his friends. He's spending time with his community, his people, his family. Moments away from the end of his life, he shows us what he values, what's important and what really matters to him, loving his people. The evening meal was in progress, one final time to break bread with one another, and I can imagine their conversation. We only got to see a glimpse of it in the Gospels, breaking bread with one another, laughing, talking about what their plans were, not fully knowing what was about to take place. But Jesus wanted to spend time with the people that he loved and the people that he valued, just to be present in spite of their highs and their lows and their disagreements and their bickering and you know, who's most important, right? In spite of those failed moments that they had had, and a few had some really big failed moments, right, like Peter, it was his last day and Jesus was with his friends. He got up from the meal, he takes off his outer clothing, he wraps a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He's washing the feet of his friends before he dies, demonstrating to them that love is humbling yourself for one another. Love is serving one another, showing them that love is regarding yourself as equal to one another. He says to them, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, now you go, right? You should also wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. So in the final moments of that evening, he spends time giving them important advice. Later, he tells them about 
his father's many mansions and how he leaves. When he leaves, he's going to prepare a place for him and his friends. He tells them about the Holy Spirit. He tells them about the world's hatred of them and about how one day their sadness is going to turn into joy. But our passage for this morning begins with the first piece of advice that Jesus has for his disciples, and he actually repeats this a few times, right, through, through, his, through his moments with them. Here's what really matters. Love one another, right? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So it's like really interesting, because Jesus did a lot prior to that, right? Um, out of everything that he had done, the beatitudes that he had taught, the miracles that he demonstrated and told them, hey, you too can do this same thing, right? The healing and turning water into wine and taking two loaves and two fish and feeding 5,000 people. You know, they'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him spit in mud and make a blind man see. Out of all of that, he had only one piece of advice for them. And it wasn't, here's how you turn water into wine, right? It wasn't, here's how you cast out demons, or here's how you draw large crowds of people to you so they can come hear you speak. Here's the most important, here's what really matters. Love one another. If you've got nothing else, if you never cast a demon out, <laughs> if you never turn water into wine, right? If you never get a crowd of 5,000 and you have to feed them for whatever, you love one another, and out of that, those things, I believe, will manifest itself. Those things will come. The foundation of it is that you love one another. I think we miss out on something really unique about this passage when we sort of flippantly reduce it to, oh, yeah, love your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor in general. But here, notice that there is a specific group of people that Jesus is addressing. He's like, you guys in this room love each other in this room. And that was probably the hard part, right? The phrase familiarity breeds contempt is quoted often for a reason. It's one thing to love a stranger. Oh yeah, of course I'll love my neighbor, right? And we don't even really do a good job of that. It's a completely different thing to love the people that God called you to live in community with. Yes, Jesus loved everyone. Jesus loved people, strangers that would break through crowds to touch the hem of his garment or who would scream out his name to have mercy on them. People who he would meet at wells or ask him to heal their daughters and cast out demons out of their sons. But here in this moment, Jesus is showing us how and the importance of loving your people and your community and the people that God called you to. Uh, can you imagine how difficult it was for him to sit in a room with Judas? and love him in that moment, right? But not just Judas, but Peter, all of them. That had to have been extremely difficult. And that's why I mentioned This Is Us in the beginning, right? Because what draws me to the show is how this tiny family unit chooses to live in the tension of loving one another through their failures and their mistakes and their imperfections. At the end of the day, they choose what matters above all else is what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples and friends here in this moment. He's like, look around the room. You can't stand each other. <laughs> but love each other anyway. <laughs> it's so important that he says it again and again, right? In chapter 15, he says it two other times, you know. Um, these are the relationships that, that matter. This bond, this unit, this community that we've created with one another. Love each other. 
And he's like, we have to practice it in these spaces that we've been called to, and then also we can begin to display it to other people that we don't know. So often we don't even master it in just these small, tight rooms. When Jesus began his ministry, what's one of the first things he did? He created community. Come follow me, he said to Peter and Andrew and then James and John. And it wasn't long uh, before that he chose the full 12. And we've always made it seem like Jesus just needed people to follow him. It was so much more than that. Jesus was creating community, teaching them and us the importance of living and loving in the tension of family community. And notice how they didn't need to be related to him or even to each other for that matter. This is about family just as much as it's about the communities that God called us to, uh, how they can transcend these relational bounds. This community can certainly be about blood family, bonds, and communities. This can be about spouses, yes, but they are just some examples of community. These are just some. The communities that God calls us to can take on many forms, no matter relationship statuses or even the complexities of estranged families. So you have to ask yourself, what community has God called you to in order to live out love? For Jesus, it was those 12. And for those 12, it was one another. Their little community was a mess more often than none. The disciples didn't trust Jesus completely. I don't think we talk about that enough. I think there's this assumption that, oh, well, it's Jesus and these are the disciples, but they didn't trust him. You know, he literally said, I'm about to die. And they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, I mean, they doubted often. They argued with one another. They were judgmental. They were sometimes jealous of each other. Um, Jesus would teach them things and they just wouldn't get it. Even after this moment, when the enemies of Jesus arrested him, and many of the disciples, they ran away. They weren't there in his final moments, all of them. This was the community that Jesus chose to be a part of. Of course, they had good moments, too. They weren't all bad. They spent long hours and days with one another. They confided in one another, shared stories. They were growing together. They fished together, worked together. So there were these celebratory moments when they did get it, when they would perform miracles and heal others just like their teacher, when they were enlightened by his conversations with them. It wasn't all bad, but it wasn't all good. It was relationship. That's literally the definition of relationship, right? It's not all bad, but it's not all amazing. It's somewhere in between sometimes. Loving one another within the tension of their community. So there are many questions you're going to ask yourself, but I've learned over time that there are two main questions that you will ask yourself your entire life. What is my purpose, number one? And two, what really matters, right? Or what's really important? And the answer to that question will vary at different points in your life. There are things that you frustrated yourself over and took up all of your time and energy as a teenager. They're very different than the things that matter to you in your adult years or in your adult years. As many of you grew into adulthood, your life reflected the answer to that question in different ways um, and at various points. The question is, does your life reflect the answer to that question now? So if you were to ask yourself, what really matters? Does your life look like what actually matters to you? Does your life reflect the answer to what you really believe matters? 
I was doing a teaching for a group of college students a few years ago and I asked them to name the top three things that are important to them. And they're like, God and my mom and basketball, you know, God, family, my friends, you know, God was always first. <laughs> it didn't always reflect that, but it was like the right answer that they were giving me, you know, God, family, school. And I'm like, God and school, I'm not really sure. Um, but okay, you know. Um, their best friend, you know, and I listed all of them on the board and I asked them, does your life reflect that? Does your life, uh, if God really matters um, first and foremost to us, do our lives reflect that outside of coming to chapel or church? If our families, if your friends or communities fall on that list of things that matter, do our lives really show that? It's just a reminder that God has called us to community and to making it a priority to love one another in the same way that he loved us. Every now and then, we need to be reminded of what really matters and why. Before there was a single person to walk the face of the earth, God said, let us make human beings in our own image. And that's why in scripture, Paul says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God could have chosen to be God alone, but God chose to be God in community. I mean, that's huge really interesting. God chose to be an us instead of an I. What is he demonstrating, right? Uh, that's why I think books like uh, The Shack, some, I feel like, get it right, right? No matter what the critiques of the book and the film were, even if you haven't read, read it um, or seen it, the image of God, Jesus in this film, and the Holy Spirit having dinner with one another and having conversation with one another, laughing with one another, it's just a powerful embodiment of just how absolutely important relationship and community is to God. Soon after Jesus' ascension, when he had gone for good, the disciples remained together waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they were all on one accord, and Peter preaches to a crowd in one instance. Uh, over 3,000 people were added to the church, and thus they formed their own community. And they loved those people as Christ loved them in hopes that those people would love others as Christ loved them in hopes that others that they love would love and it would just be a cycle, right? That there would be this pattern. So I'm trying to point out a recurring theme that seems to pervade the teachings of Christ in the early church, even as far back as a divine God, right, who is literally the manifestation of relationship and community, right? Like the personification of community is God. <laughs> So why would that make us any different? Of course, living out that embodiment of community and love is, for many of us as human beings, it's easier said than done, right? I wish I could say that the disciples had perfect track records of loving one another um, with Jesus and hearing him say those words, and I'm sure that they didn't. There's not much scripture that details their relationships in the early start of the church. Uh, many of those that were at the last meal with Jesus wound up scat scattering to other areas to preach the gospel, and for good reason. But there were, in some instances, we know, like Paul and Peter, obviously Paul wasn't there originally, but they had these confrontations and had a contentious relationship, right? They had personalities. Um, I'm not saying they didn't love each other, but what I am saying is that living this community out wasn't easy, even for the most anointed and even the most chosen it wasn't easy for them, it's, and because that, it's not going to be easy for us. Relationships can be complicated, and personalities can clash, but this is us, reminded me, and, uh, and Jesus, of course, <laughs> reminds us that at the end of the day, um, remember 
what really matters and why. Um, and that's why communion, right, before you take communion later, it's just like, do this in remembrance of me. And sometimes we think, oh, we're just remembering Jesus. But no, like, literally, remember, right? L remember how I loved you when you literally didn't deserve it, you know? Um, remember how I loved you when you, like, turned your back on me, uh, when you doubted me, when you disappointed me. Um, but Jesus' love remained with them because the bond that they formed, the relationship, the community, is what really mattered. Every now and then, I, I need a sermon or a book or a television show, right, to remind me of what really matters and why. And, you know, I don't need a pandemic, but that's what happened. And it reminded me, right, of what really mattered and why. I need to be reminded that our commitment to loving one another is for the sake of the world around us, right? And because of that, we have to fight through it. We gotta stick it out. We gotta love through it. Because this is how we prove to the world that we belong to Jesus. This is how we preach the gospel that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is how we'll preach the gospel that love is patient, love is kind. It's not just for a wedding ceremony. It's literally difficult <laughs> to love people you can't stand, <laughs> that you live with one. And this is who we're called to be, and this is how we're called to love. And we have to start with the community and the people uh, that God has called us to right now. So this is the commandment and the encouragement that I have for you all this morning. This is the answer wrapped up in one statement. Remember that the only thing that matters is that you would love one another. By your heads, let's pray. God, thank you for the simple reminder for the commandment, for the task. Um, we don't take it for granted, and I pray that um, for those of us, myself included, that have, um, have not taken it seriously, that the simplification of the command and the words alone, that we would understand the mission of loving one another, that we would understand the seriousness of it, Bring to memory uh, and bring to our minds those faces that you've called us to be in community with. Um, the ones that automatically come to our mind that might seem easy and simple and then the ones that um, we may have forgotten about or the ones that are particularly hard and that it's difficult. Um, bring those faces to mind. And uh, I pray that we would see those faces as part of our calling and our mission and our purpose. Um, thank you for the communities that you've called us to. We don't take that for granted. And um, if we have, just pray that you'd forgive us for that. And uh, that we would, you know, walk out of this room and take this season, um, this difficult season that we've been in and just in our, our world and our nation, um, that we would be reminded at the end of the day uh, of, of what really matters. And if we've forgotten, uh, just share it with us, tell us, uh, speak to our hearts about it in some way. In your name, Jesus, we pray, amen.